Morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. Bethany, my name is Richard Dahlstrom. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It's a joy to be with you on this Sunday. Normally, in the order of our worship here, what would happen at this moment is someone other than the preaching pastor would get up and read the, the text for the morning. I've elected to read myself because it's rather brief. And the text is from Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, which reads thusly, give us this day our daily bread. Done. Let's take a moment we pray together. Father, a simple phrase. Many of us in the room perhaps have spoken this phrase in the context of the prayer. It's the object of our study a thousand times, 10,000 times for some of us who are older. And yet how poignant, how powerful, how life-altering if we allow you to uh, shape us by the truths contained therein. So would you be our teacher? We invite that now, Father, and pray that we would have both ears to hear and hearts to respond, that we might be shaped to be people of bread, the bread of life, as we draw upon the resources of you, the source, the bread. We pray in Christ's name, amen. This sermon had a very practical consequence just last night in my life. Uh, we had family visiting at our house. We cooked a rather large meal. We had leftovers. Uh, we timed it well or planned well enough that the amount of leftovers was minuscule. A little bit of pasta, two pieces of salami, maybe a cup and a, or a, a teaspoon and a half of uh, great Parmesan cheese. And in my previous world and life, before this sermon, I would have thrown it in the garbage disposal, I confess to you. It was so small. But in the context of studying, I learned this week that America generates 103 million tons of food waste every year. That's us, collectively. Uh, the world, For the world, it's 1.4 billion tons, but for us, it's 103 million tons, which is 206 billion pounds. Now, it's hard to fathom 206 billion pounds, so I'm going to give you a word picture. We're going to talk about food waste using the metric of the Statue of Liberty. If you filled the Statue of Liberty with food waste, you would need 450,000 Statues of Liberty to uh, accommodate the food waste that we contribute to on a yearly basis. And that's in itself tragic and wasteful, but meanwhile... 821 million people don't receive an adequate daily supply of calories. (laughs) And 25,000 people die of starvation every day and thousands more of diseases directly arising from malnutrition and and food shortage. So what's interesting is we've got 7.8 billion people on the planet and the problem is not a lack of soil, lack of water, uh, lack of, uh, you know, resources, lack of food. Not yet anyway, that's not the problem. (laughs) The problem... Uh, stems from oppression and greed and fear that have created systems of exploitation uh, that leave some people with excess and other people in want. Many of us in the room are those with excess, and for us, this prayer may not make much sense even. Why pray for daily bread? My refrigerator is literally overflowing. We had a mechanic come, a refrigerator repairman some years ago. Our freezer had broken, This guy loves refrigerators. Don't you love people who, for their job, love what they do? This guy loves refrigerators, and he shamed us. He opened the freezer. He says, he wags his finger. He says, you filled her too full. 
and the engine is, is sad. It's overworking to keep all this excess food that you have cold. And he fixed it, and then he really, literally spoke to me, eye contact. He was like, I don't want to have to come back for this again. <laughs> right? It's like, don't overfill your freezer. That's most of us in the room. But it's not most people in the world. Many, many people are living in hunger. And so how do we read this text? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Embedded in the simple request for daily bread is what I believe to be a revolutionary reframing of how to live every day for all of us in the room, no matter how much food you have. And if we embrace this new way, it guides us toward wholeness and generosity and peace, actually. Uh, so it's a very important and meaningful text. And discovering this requires sitting with three radical requests that Jesus offers. He says, when you pray, first say this, give. Second, say us. Third, say daily bread. So we're going to look at those three radical requests this morning. The first one being give. What makes that radical is the notion that we, in the room, most of us adults with bank accounts, credit cards, jobs, uh, need to ask anyone to give us anything. If I want something, it's a click away, man. And I've got the resources to provide for myself, thank you very much. I'm, I don't need to ask. But that, that entire notion is misguided. Because if we look at the scripture and, they allow, and allow scripture to inform not the kind of matrix that we live in, but the deeper reality, right? Like if we're going to be framed by reality, here's the reality. James 1.17, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God gives every gift. So we're told that God's the giver of every gift. We're not told God is the creator of every good and perfect commodity. And by the way, there's a great sale coming out this weekend. So, if, so go for it. Like if you want some peace, you want some grace, you want some food, you want some shelter, you want some intimacy, you want some clean water, you want some health, it's for sale just come by it, and it's not necessarily money that you're using as your uh, uh, means of transaction. Come on, you want intimacy, you want health, you want wisdom, come to church, tithe, give, pray, obey, serve. If you do your part, God will do his part. And then we commodify everything because, frankly, we live in a world that commodifies everything. Food is commodified, water is commodified, sex is commodified, intimacy is commodified, education is commodified. And, you know, we've heard it, right? There's no free lunch. Get what you pay for. Nothing's free in this life. Nobody rides for free. So we got to reframe our lives so that we're now, like, dismantling the paradigm that we live in, you know, 24-7 that tells us we'll be whole if we buy something. And, and just for a minute here, look at the deeper, more abiding eternal reality. And the eternal reality is this, um, God is the source. So we're going to look at that. And we're going to use two stories from the Old Testament to look at that. The first story teaches us that everything we need is freely given. And that story comes from the book of Genesis. And the story is about um, 10 brothers who are like the nascent nation of Israel. And they're in danger of being annihilated through death due to famine, right? There's a famine, and they need, very practically, grain. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have on the wall, doesn't matter if you're God's chosen people, if you don't have bread, like Maslow's, uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs, right? You gotta have bread. 
So that's the starting point. And so then they're like this. Uh, their dad says, hey, there's, there's grain in Egypt. Go buy grain. So they go down and buy grain, not knowing that the guy who is selling them grain is the brother that they've sold into slavery 25 years ago. <clears throat> he has probably a beard and speaks now Egyptian. They don't recognize him. He sees them. They, they give him their money, right? He gives them grain. It's a transaction. And then in Genesis chapter 42, before they go home, Joseph, the, the, the seller, says to his staff, hey, go put the, grain, the money back in the sacks of those 10 brothers. Give their money back. So now they go home, they've got grain and money. First night, they stop and they open their bags to feed their uh, animals. And there's the money. And their response is what? Cool, man. We got free grain. These guys were too stupid to take our money. Somebody put it back in. That's awesome. No, they don't say that. Chapter 42, verse 26 to 28, they say, it says, it says, their faces grew dim and they asked, what is God saying to us? Like they're really upset. Why? Because they know there's no free lunch. Nobody rides for free. You get what you pay for, right? They know it. All, see, way back in history, it's already been the case, everything's commodified. And it was understood that if you have a need and someone else is able to provide that need, they don't just give it to you, you buy it every single time. That's the world in which we live, right? So Joseph is trying to paint a picture here of Christ through his action and show us that this is one big fat lie. And, and the story even intensifies because they go home with grain, they run out of grain again, and now they have to go back. And I will tell you personally, if you've committed a crime somewhere, going back is scary, right? And the reason that's personal for me is because years ago, you know, my wife and I were in, uh, in Italy, and we had rented a car, and my wife wanted to see the Leaning Tower, and I wanted to go straight to the airport. Instead, we, w we went to see the Leaning Tower. We parked illegally, but we got away with that. And then we had to drive back to the airport, and we're following Google Maps. And Google Maps took us through University of Pizza's um, equivalent of UW's Red Square. Like it's a pedestrian-only huge square, and we're driving this tiny little Fiat through there. Here's a bunch of Italians, you know, giving us fingers, saying Americano, you know, and different things. And, and some are laughing, but anyway, drive through. Of course, uh, everything's photo security. Two months later, we get a bill for 300 euros in the, in the mail, you know, and it's like, you broke the law. And so we, you know, we pay the thing. And so I think my record's clean, but I'm still afraid to go to Italy <laughs> because I don't know when I land if the rental car agency or somebody's going to say, ah, ha, 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 we've been waiting for you. Go to jail, right? Like, that's these guys they got to go back and buy grain from the guy who has every right to accuse them of what? Theft. So they go back, and they go, here's our money from the first time. We're so sorry. Here's a bribe so you don't throw us in jail. Here's more money. We need more grain. They get more grain. And then again, Joseph says, put all the money back, all of it. So then they're heading back again, and it's a bigger story. But one subplot is, again, they open their bags. There's all the money again. Like, 
what's going on here? Well, years ago, you know, I teach Genesis uh, with uh, the Torchbearer community in various Bible schools. And I, I got this revelation in the middle of the night about how Joseph is a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. And so I started, I got up and I started naming all the things. Oh, yeah, you know, betrayed by his family and sold for silver and, you know, to- tossed into the earth for, you know, a period of time, uh, which is Egypt. And then, you know, raised to a place of prominence. His own brothers didn't recognize him. Blah, 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 you know. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. What I could never figure out is his money thing. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like this. Isaiah 55 explains everything. What is that, you ask? This is it. Come, everybody who's thirsty, come to the water without money. Come, buy and eat. Buy wine, milk, bread, without money, without cost. What a weird sentence. Buy without money. What does that mean? Well, God is trying to tell us something here. The text goes on and says, why are you spending money on things that are not bread? And your labor on that which does not satisfy. Here's the deal. If you have a commodity mindset, you try and buy salvation or buy holiness, or intimacy, or food, or drink, or shelter, or clothing. But here's the thing, you can't buy any of it, because all of it comes from God. God's the source, right? And to be blunt, a lot of religion has evolved into a commodity, transactional mindset, where we're trying to earn uh, grace. And that's an oxymoron. Like, you cannot earn grace. Grace, by its nature, can only be what? Received. So we give lip service to grace, and yet we think, have I prayed enough? Have I studied enough? Have I attended enough? Have I given enough? Am I holy enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I serving God enough? To which I want to say, enough. (laughs) Stop. Because you don't earn anything. That's a commodity mindset. And when you try and buy what you can only receive, you, you miss it entirely. Right? So that's the first thing from this Joseph story. And then the second story reminds us that though it's all free, God invites our participation. And that story comes from the book of Exodus and manna. So here's this new nation. Now they're kind of traveling through the wilderness. And they were given gold on the way out by their previous oppressors. It's amazing. So now they have money. And if the desert is a commodity, they can go buy food. They've got plenty of money. But they go through the desert, and by the way, th- there's no uh, quickie Mart or 7-Eleven or truck stop. There's nothing, so they have no access to food. I've got gold, no food. Isn't that wild? Imagine somebody having money, but not their basic needs met. Oh, yeah. That's American culture. Fabulously wealthy and lonely and anxious and depressed and suffering from body image issues and comparison traps. But you can't buy your way out. That's the thing. So then they say to their leader, Moses, hey, he brought us out here to kill us. <laughs> and, you know, Moses goes to God, and then God comes to the people, and he says, look, I'm going to provide bread every morning. It's going to be there, out there on the ground. But now you have to participate. You have to go and get it, Right? So, so here's the thing. Embedded in this manna story is the belief that many of us carry that fundamentally we're on our own. Like, yeah, 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 God 
you know, Christ died for me. It's a cool story. It's Holy Week coming up, and, you know, we're going to do that thing. We're going to celebrate Easter. But here's the reality. If I don't go to work, I get fired. If I get fired, I don't make my payment. If I don't, if I don't make my payment, I, you know, I'm out of my house. I need to take care of myself, right? And that commodification mentality is, is really, really destructive because if that's my mentality... Life becomes this kind of Darwinian struggle for survival, and it's all about me winning. And whether you lose or not is not relevant because I win, right? And, and now they can't win because though they have money, there's still no bread. They say, oh, you brought us out here to kill us. And God says, no, I brought you out here to show you two things. Number one, I'm going to provide absolutely everything you need to live the life for which I've called, I've called you to a life, I'm going to provide. You need food, I'll give you food. You need water, I'll give you water. You, you need your shoes to not wear out, your shoes won't wear out. You need guidance, I'll give you guidance every day. I'll give you exactly what you need. I will give it to you, not sell it to you. I'll give it to you every day, relax. And then I want to teach you as well that although I'm the one who provides for you, you have a part to play. Every day you got to get up, unzip your tent or however it was, whatever it was, and go out and there's the bread. Now you gather it, just enough for one day, every day. But never think that your hard work is the source of your daily bread, because it's not. You get a check from Amazon or UW or Starbucks or the company you own, and then you have investments that you've made, and you probably have some rental income if you're that way, or the, you look at the markets and you rise and fall every day with happiness and despair. But it all comes back in the end, that's illusion. Everything comes back to soil and, and, and water and air and sunlight and rain. And ultimately, the source of all of that, which allows us to sit here in this room, the source, the giver, is the giver of all life, the giver of every perfect, good and perfect gift. It, it all comes back to God. God is the source of everything you enjoy. James 1, 17. So, therefore, if it's all gift, 1 Corinthians 4, we can't boast. I can't say, I enjoy uh, where I live as I do, and the food I eat as I do, and the abundance that I have as I do. I, I can't say I enjoy it because I did it. I nailed it. No, 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 no. There's a lot of people in the world who work way harder than me who have way less. So don't, don't draw that line. That leads to pride and, 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 you, and your heart becoming close to the needs all around you. Understand, whatever you've been given is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Why? So there's no boasting. And then, you know, if you have that childlike mentality, honestly, every day's Christmas. And you wake up and you go, wow, again, coffee. Wow, Again, sunshine. Wow, again, you know, clothing. And, and everything has changed. We have a gift mentality, right? But when we think it's either owed us or we think we've earned it, we become grumpy, <laughs> frankly. But then also realize, though it's a gift, never think you're entitled. You have a part to play. You got to get up and gather the manna. So to the extent that we apply this in our lives, we're freed from financial idolatry and its twin sibling, financial anxiety. Like idolatry, wow, look at me, I've got a ton. Anxiety, wow, look at me, I don't have enough. We're freed from all of that uh, because along the way, 
we're told here that uh, we can live above anxiety by, by simply looking around at creation and recognizing, don't worry, don't worry, God has got this, God's providing. Look, again, by the way, spring is coming again. And we didn't make a down payment in January for that to happen. It just kind of happens, right? And then the snow melts, and then the flowers come. And just this morning, for the first time, at least for me in my world, for the first time in months, I opened the car door and heard, heard Canadian geese. They're back, right? And then up at our house in the mountains, the other morning, man, I opened, I opened the window in my little office, and there's just a cacophony of birds. It's like a choir, and it's still snow, and it's still cold, it's still like 25, but the birds are like this, we know what's coming, we're on this man, and we're not even worried. It's gift economy, right? And Jesus wants us to be free from anxiety. So he tells us, don't obsess over finances, Matthew 6, because when you do, it reveals that finance is where you're placing your trust. And you know, we did that word cloud a while ago, and we discovered uh, when people were naming their idols, the, the thing that came up as the number one thing is financial anxiety. It's a thing for us here in the Pacific Northwest at this moment in time. So God is saying, look, relax and, and let me not only take care of you, but so live through you and your kind of open-handed generosity that I testify of my capacity to provide. When, I, when my dad died, I was 17 and then uh, just a year, two years later, I, I, another family member died who had no, um, you know, no children. And so the inheritance was to be divided among the family in a way, right? And then I had some family members who wanted this person who died, wanted their house. Because on the coast of California, beautiful place. But they didn't have enough money, of course, to buy out everybody. So they asked another family member to loan them their share. Does that make sense? So we'll pay, we'll pay you back, just loan us your share. Well, at the time, Jimmy Carter is president and interest rates are like 10%. And, and, and then I know this person who's going to loan the money. And the loan was like 1%. And I'm 18, right? So I'm no financial wizard, but I was like this. That is the stupidest thing I have ever seen. Why would you loan somebody money when the going rate is 10 and you're going to loan for 1%? And by the way, they, they have money and you don't. And he has a job and you're retired. And your income is next to nothing on Social Security. And they have checks. They should be giving you 20%. And you're giving them that money at 1%? That's foolish. And I went to that person and said, what are you thinking? And here, this is the answer. You know what? God's always taking care of me. And I'm happy to live generously. And so God's going to take care of me still. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Well, I worried about it because that was part of my inheritance, right? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, you know what? I'm fine too. And that person who lived generously... Fine until the last breath. All good. Not only fine, but a reputation like, like the post-Christmas Scrooge, like a reputation of both of the most generous people in Fresno. Not because they were wealthy, but because they lived with open hands. 
And God took care of that person to the last breath. Don't worry. God's got this. It doesn't matter how much or little you have. The principle never changes. You didn't create it. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you. Relax. That brings us to the second of these three. Give. That's all wrapped up in give. Second, us. Now, this is, this is to me, the most powerful one. Why? Because I prayed this prayer. I estimated this week when I studied. I prayed this prayer 10,000 times at least, right? Many in the room who are older, the same, some of you less. But I prayed it, and always when I prayed it before, if I, paid, if I was even paying attention, which wasn't always true, but if I was, I was always interpreting that prayer this way. God, uh, give me my stuff. Like, I need food. I need a job. I need next quarter's tuition payments. So I'm praying, give us, our, give us this day our daily bread. But it's filtered, so that by the time it reaches God, it's like, God, come on, fill my cup. That's weird. Why did I do that? I tell you why, I think. It's because I grew up in a faith that was primarily individualistic in its articulation, as many of you did. <clears throat> a, accept Christ as your personal Savior. B, go your own private, quiet time. C, go to church, but the main part of church is exactly what's happening now. So you sit, plug in, get some octane downloaded, spiritual octane, make it through the week, you'll, run, you'll be on empty by Saturday, don't worry, come back next week, you'll get another you know, motivational, inspiring gig, do it, you know, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. So that was me. I mean, I, I went here in college, sat in the back row every week, left before the last song ended every week. Why? I was not here for you. I was here for me. <laughs> and God, by the way. And the guy would speak, and I'd fill my tank, and I'd leave. <sighs> that was the way I looked at the entire world. And what was that way? Hey, you got to look out for yourself. So, you know, come to Christ. That deals with eternity. Do your quiet time stuff. That'll help here in time. And then, you know, be responsible. Get good grades. You know, get a job. Show up. Do your work. Try and excel. Maybe get a promotion along the way. And if you care for yourself, then you're going to be fine. Oh, and by the way, then you get married. Make, now the two of you, it's, it's us against the world. Like, we got to care. For, we got to buy our house. It's our thing. And then we have kids. And now we got to make sure that they get their thing. And we're, it's here we are. It's us. It's our little unit, kind of not at war, really, but, but living in a way indifferently to everything else. Does that make sense? It's like, give me my daily bread because I need you. Well, I do need you, but that's not this prayer. This prayer is give us our daily bread. But my thinking as a kid was this. Look, if everybody just does their part, we win, right? We're like, humanity is like a collective football team. And so I know there's nine billion of us or eight or whatever, but here's the deal. If everyone would just, you know, work hard, get a job, get an education, get literate, everybody would have food. Everybody would have shelter. Everybody would be happy. If we just did our thing, it would work. Uh, actually, no. That's not the way the world is healed, according to Jesus. 
Because what did Jesus say? First of all, he said this, the poor you always have with me. And what did he teach us in Isaiah? He taught us that um, there were people who were fasting and God wasn't answering their prayers. And, and people are like this, God, we're, we're fasting, praying, you're not answering. And God says, here's why. Because when you're fasting, what you ought to be doing is breaking the bonds of wickedness, undoing the straps of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, bringing the homeless and poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. In other words, hello, says God. You live in a fallen world. And if you're praying and asking God to bless you, preemptively begin living as if God has blessed you and bless others because you're called to be bread for hungry people. That's your calling. That's what it means to be the people of God. So that's the key. It says, when you see the naked, cover him and don't hide from, listen to this phrase, don't hide from your own flesh. Wow. I thought my own flesh was me. And And then my wife Donna. And then my three children. And now my three children, my four grandchildren. That's, that's my flesh. You guys, good luck. You know, but if you, take, you, know, if you work hard, you'll be okay. N- no. Who's your own flesh? I'll tell you who. The immigrants, your own flesh. That person, you know, fleeing El Salvador. The, uh, the, the, the widow, that's who, yeah, just today <laughs> in our congregation. Young woman with, you know, three, three small children because... Uh, the, the husband dies of cancer at 40. That's your own flesh. The orphan, that's your own flesh. The transgender kid who, who's at risk of being suicidal, that's your own flesh. Everybody's your own flesh. Look around. That's the world we live in. And so uh, when we pray our Father, as Nathan spoke to a couple of weeks ago, and now we say, give us our daily bread, God is calling us to settle for nothing less than God's vision of shalom because shalom is never I win, you lose. Bread or phones or laptops or houses or clothing or chocolate that you have while another still doesn't have means this prayer is not answered. It's not answered just because I have my bread because I'm not praying for my bread. I'm praying for our bread. Wow. That means I need to repent of my individualized version of this prayer. Because we who have the means, and that's many of us in the room, are intended to be God's hands and feet in answering this very prayer. Not just the things that we do in Nicaragua and and Costa Rica and Rwanda and on Aurora, though those are meaningful and, and incredibly important and foundational. But people are hungry for friendship. People are hungry for meaning. People are hungry for direction. People are hungry for forgiveness. People are hungry for moving beyond shame. People are hungry. And so when we're praying, give us our daily bread, that gives us a new lens through which we look at the world. Uh, Then finally, last thing, today's bread. Give teaches us that it's in our nature to earn rather than receive. Us teaches us that it's in our nature to be individualizing uh, regarding the gospel rather than fully embrace God's vision for shalom. Now the notion that it's daily reveals that it's in us to make a goal of moving beyond daily dependence. Like the entire paradigm of the American dream is this. You know, if you work hard, get your education, save up, buy, invest, sell, multiply, you can come to some point sometime where you don't need anybody ever again. 
because you've got your money and your house and your, and your low cholesterol and your body mass index and, and all is well. And then Jesus speaks of that in Luke 12, verses 13 to 19. The guy, the farmer had a banner year. <clears throat> I'm paraphrasing because I lost my Bible in Europe. Like my main Bible, my Bible of 30 years was in my checked luggage. And then I get, I get there to my place. I open my bag and it's not there. And I called my wife and I said, A, I'm not in a happy space, this house. I was put in not my guest room that I'm always in. B, my Bible is missing. So I, I, I can't find anything in this Bible. It's like driving a British car. So I'm just paraphrasing all morning. I, like I have it here so that you listen, but I'm not using it at all. So in Luke 12, you know, bigger barns and then invest the excess, you know, in cryptocurrency and stuff, and then, you know, sell high, buy low, you know, do it right. Pretty soon, you're like this. Wow, I've multiplied my stuff. Like I bought in Seattle in 1985. Now I can just sell and eat steak every night till I die. It's good. Who needs God? Here's the problem with that. Uh, God says that paradigm is entirely misguided because although the, the goal of our economic model is to create such abundance that we come to a point of never needing to worry about daily bread. The problem is this. Daily bread is more than just money, and even money is fleeting. So you think you're set. You're not set. The point isn't don't save money. The point is understand how anything that you call yours could evaporate tomorrow. Anything. Your money could evaporate like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank and who knows how many banks this week and even the Swiss banks that everybody thinks are amazing. Crops can evaporate. Just ask my friends who are farmers in the San Joaquin Valley in California who've had this year's crop entirely decimated through floods. That's food we would otherwise eat. Almonds, peaches, apples, Governments rise and fall. If you're healthy today, I'm about to visit someone whose husband died last night at 40 because of a cell mutation that became cancer that resulted in an untimely death, leaving, you know, three young children. So, you know, we want to get to a point where we don't need God anymore. Good luck with that. That'll never happen. We need... We need money. We need emotional, physical, spiritual strength. We need wisdom. We need, we need wisdom to know when to fight, when to surrender, when to confront, when to walk away, when to speak the hard word, when to remain silent, when to open our hand and give, when to, when to close our hand and call for more accountability, we, we, to, to know when to move and when to stay. We need nothing less than Christ, the very bread of life, every day. Boom. And here's the thing. If we know we need that, we live this way. Open hands. And if we live this way, I promise you, I'm an old guy, your hands get full. And then you're able to what? Give it away. I should have brought like donut holes up here and <laughs> thrown them out there. Just so you see it. I mean, it's powerful imagery. Oh, I'm hungry. Great. Let me serve you. Don't you want to live that way? 
in Germany, um, <laughs> there was a bakery just down the road. And, you know, I arrive, I had a foul mood, no, uh, no Bible, not my normal room. And because not my normal room, no coffee in my room. And I was like, I said to my wife, even worse than my Bible being gone, no coffee. <laughs> and so I went to the bakery the very first morning. And here's this beautiful woman in her 70s, German woman. She serving me, speaks only, only German, so it was good for me to practice a bit. And every morning I went there. Every morning I went there. Why? Because I got to know her. And, and I have to just say to you, the first morning I walked in there so mad, so annoyed at my situation, at the loss of my Bible, at the room I'm in, I walk in there and I smell that bread and I'm like, oh, you know what? Life's going to be okay. <laughs> Which is so funny because I'm paleo. I don't even eat bread at home. <laughs> But that week, every morning, cup of coffee, pastry, a Bible loaned to me from a friend, get ready for my classes in Exodus, every morning. And when I'd walk into that bakery, I'd be like, this is just, this smell incites hunger. And, and, and what it really does is awaken hunger. Friends, when you live this way, give us, like us, bread today. And then you ask again tomorrow. And then again on Tuesday and Wednesday. If that's your posture, you're, you're a bakery. That's what you are. Because you are so filled now with divine life that you are hope in the midst of despair, generosity in the midst of greed, courage in the midst of fear. May that be our story. Father, our desire in these very, very anxious times is that we'd be this bakery. Part of the reason our times are anxious is because we live in a, in a world of transactions and commodities where everyone wonders if they're loved or just, just used. May we feast on you that we might be the bread of life because of your life in us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.